0: So Money, episode 846, David Burns, founder of the Business Monk.
1: You're listening to So Money with award winning money guru Farnoosh Karabi. Each day, get a 30 minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh yourself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It is actually a silly thing to focus a lot on money because money money does nothing on its own. By its nature, it points outside of itself. It's only good in as much as you can use it for other things.
0: We're getting philosophical, financially philosophical on the show today. Welcome to So Money. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. Our guest is David Burns, founder of The Business Monk. Two words I never thought I'd say together, but there you go. David is convinced you can pursue business and have it become a path to spiritual awakening. I like the sound of that. Through his work as a coach and consultant, David helps entrepreneurs and CEOs learn to stop working themselves to death. He teaches his clients how to replace false beliefs, manifest money, stop repeating bad habits, and pursue more depth in their personal relationships. Gotta say we're lucky because we're getting David all to ourselves to learn from his playbook here in the next 30 minutes. Here we go. Here's David Burns. David Burns, welcome to So Money. Thank you. All right. Let's just dive right into this concept of business monk, which you have concepted. And it is the business dot com is where you have your online presence. And just to to let listeners in on the definition of business monk. It's a noun. It's somebody who engages in business as a path to spiritual awakening. Sounds like you can't put business and monk in the same phrase, but you have. Give us a little bit more background uh, into how you arrived at this concept and how it really works in action.
1: Yeah, happily, I'll, I'll say first, you know that that definition of a business monk, which I sometimes use, I do believe in. You know, using business as a vehicle to spiritual awakening and spiritual awakening is, uh, is a very vague and sort of charged term. So, um, sometimes it's easier to talk about as something like, uh, engaging in business as a mindfulness practice. Um, and as, as more and more research comes out on the benefits of more traditional mindfulness practices, uh, the, the sort of foundational mission of our company is to give people the tools and the frameworks to derive the same benefits that they would from a more formal, intense, monastic mm-hmm. meditative practice while engaged in business so that there's no real separation between mindfulness and day-to-day work.
0: Do you have to meditate to be a business monk? Do you have to meditate while on, entrepreneuring?
1: You know, it certainly doesn't hurt, um, but the, I mean, the, the whole idea behind our company is that um, not only do very few people on the intense path, uh, you know, go and and study at a genuine monastery. Like very few people have the bandwidth or the desire to immerse in mindfulness mm-hmm. at that level. But also, a lot of people struggle with just maintaining a simple daily fifteen-minute meditative practice, even with useful tools like Headspace. So, so the whole idea is no, actually, you you don't have to engage in formal meditative practice. Though, obviously, it does have enormous benefits to do that as well. You can instead relate day to day. With work tasks, with business broadly, whether you're an entrepreneur or have a more traditional position, um, as a, a meditative substitute.
0: Initially, you found uh, business to be sort of irritating. Uh, I read, you know, that was part of your seeking journey as you were trying to sort of figure out your path to enlightenment. I'm curious about the backstory here too, like your personal backstory. What sort of void? did this fill in your life? Like what was the aha moment?
1: Yeah. Well, the the question of what void exactly it filled is, uh, is a deep one. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to answer that thoroughly or accurately, but I'll, I'll say I've, I've been a seeker you know, sort of for as long as I can remember, um, often unhealthily. So, you know, I, I, the impulse to kind of seek out more and richer experience from this life has been with me for a really long time. And it started out, um, you know, with fiction, exploring fiction as a kid, and kind of losing myself in in these fictional realms. And then I turned into drugs and alcohol. I was a pretty hardcore drug addict starting in high school um, through all of college, on and off. and uh, and th- during that time, i I'd, I'd explored a variety of different spiritual modalities, some just to seek and then some also to help with the drug addiction. and when i when I graduated, And I I continued this pursuit of, of seeking, of practicing multiple different meditative modalities, reading, um, going to different classes. I also, I say the the first thing that, um, actually there was kind of a a precursor to the business monk path for me, Mm -hmm. which was, um, in, in broad terms, it was the practice of conscious relating or some people call it sacred intimacy, but starting to approach relationship um, romantic relationship, but also just other relationships in one's life as meditative practice, as, as a practice to open and, and to access a certain depth of fulfillment in this life on a day to day. And so that, that was sort of the first thing that I'll say really worked for me in the meditative realm. Um, like it really, it really, it, it provided a certain kind of answer to this question of like, how do you be in the world and also experience great serenity and fulfillment and bringing a lot of consciousness to relationships or sort of worked for me. But in the process of that, you know, I needed to get a job and I was, I was kind of scraping by paying the bills, playing cello, um, doing some recordings and, and tutoring. And when I got, it wasn't quite working. So when I got my first job, um, actually doing production for events. I started, I had this very striking experience that just continued deepening of of the active business of working on a day-to-day providing when I approached it the right way, exactly the same kind of deepening fulfillment and serenity as all of the meditative practices I'd been exploring were supposed to do. And so I I took a few different jobs and eventually started a couple of different businesses, like a marketing firm, um, actually became a relationship and intimacy coach. And then there came a time when uh, there was my, my partner and I had, uh, a tough month. Not financially, just in our life personally, there were some deaths and um, one of us went to the hospital. It was a whole, it was one of those months that has you kind of uh, look at everything that's going on and, and seriously consider um, what genuinely matters. And I realized what what mattered most to me was this thread of fulfillment and serenity by engaging in business consciously and deliberately as meditative practice throughout all of the different ventures. And so I, I sold my stake in my businesses to my business partner. And I started the Business Monk to just focus on spreading those practices and that mission full time.
0: I really appreciate the the intention here where you're often when we think about entrepreneurship, starting a business, pursuit of business, it's, it is Pitched to the world as sort of this zero sum game. You have to be in it to win it. All or nothing. The hustle is real. You know, you can sleep when you die. Like you got to put all your eggs (laughs) in this basket. Right. And I mean, I don't have to tell you who's giving us those messages, but they're very much out there, loud and clear. And it's like, if you really want to be an entrepreneur, you have to give it. Like it's almost like you have to become a slave to this mission of becoming Mm. successful. And you said to that. that's BS. That's actually not healthy. And you found your path, which now you're teaching to clients and and everybody who follows you at the business monk. But really, what do you think about that message that you often hear, you know, on Instagram and social media and YouTube? And there are many thought leaders that do have this this belief system around entrepreneurship, which is all about the grind, the hustle, the work twenty four seven is that healthy?
1: <laughs> is that I mean, I personally, to be honest is is definitely something I did. Um, actually, even before I was an entrepreneur, when I got my first sales job, I was working you know sixteen to eighteen hours a day. I was a really big, I was an avid believer in the hustle narrative of of the work mm-hmm. culture, um, which we're all very familiar with. and even when I started my own ventures, i uh, I initially, I launched into this exactly the same kind of behavior. And I'll say, you know, obviously, I think a lot of people are coming to understand that it's not particularly healthy to hold that attitude exclusively. And to me, it was very appealing. And I think the reason why it's out there is it actually does resonate with a lot of people and it appeals to a certain kind of underlying passion or drive. in a lot of people is, is sort of lying dormant. Uh, they can get activated by entrepreneurship and using models like the, you know, the grind and hustle approach. And it's, it's interesting. Some of the, I I experienced this myself and I also experience it regularly with certain kinds of one-on-one clients because I do, I do a lot of executive coaching work. Like people who have sort of the hustle bug, which I do think is a kind of virus, but like you have it, they, you can't, you can't just stop it like if that sort of language really appeals to you it's appealing to something deep it's appealing to this this certain depth of ambition that's a very very fundamental human drive and so rather than rather than simply trying to help people develop a healthier balance in life i think that is important for a variety of reasons not just for um not just for peace of mind but also cuz you do function a lot better if you maintain some level of balance and you're getting sleep and taking breaks from work, like you're, you're more able to enter into real flow state and be as optimally productive as possible. Um, but it's, it's not just about helping people find health It's about helping them relate internally to that often very deep and burning ambition in a way that it doesn't consume you, but can instead be a, a sort of effortless fuel for service and creating the life that you really want.
0: That's a great promise. Also, love that you're calling it the hustle virus.
1: (laughs) 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 I think that's a pretty
0: great characterization. David, you know, a part of your work with your, um, with your clients who are entrepreneurs and business leaders is to help them replace a lot of false belief systems. And I think when it comes to money, which is a huge aspect to your success as an entrepreneur, right, is making the money and having the money work for the business. What would you say with respect to people who um, have a lot of mindset traps or false belief systems around money with using this business monk framework?
1: Yeah, I mean, this is we're getting into some really juicy terrain This is. I have a lot to say about this, and I'll just say I. I don't believe that this is a simple area to talk about or work on. Like, I don't actually think that there's a single simple solution to overcoming all of the various mindset traps that exist around money. Money's complicated. Money's very charged. We grew up with a lot of different beliefs around them, depending on the person. And I'll say one of my own kind of frustrations with entering into the entrepreneurial realm and starting to do really intense personal work on money mindset was that I got a lot of advice that was sort of one size fits all and a little bit simplistic that didn't quite work for me with regard to changing those things. So that is just like an overall kind of caveat. Um, I'm going to say what I believe about this, but Mm -hmm. I I very much believe that unwinding one's, one's own sort of money karma is a very personal path. Um, so broadly there's one of the first things that people usually talk about with struggling money mindset is a sense of worth or value and being an entrepreneur particularly can be amazing medicine for that sort of, uh, for, for the sickness of low self worth. If you charge enough and set up clear boundaries with clients, Um, maybe gradually raise rates for the services that you can do. I've seen some amazing internal psychological growth in people's own sense of worth and confidence just by charging slightly more than they're comfortable with and experiencing the okayness of that over and over. And there's a real limit to that kind of growth because if you're utilizing money and charging more, we'll say, um, if you're using that to increase your own sense of worth, then you're still tying money to a sense of worth. So it, it has a short-term benefit, but ultimately, it's still is still grounded in a mistaken belief, which is that your worth as a human being has anything to do with the amount of money that you make. So often, like one of the more common sort of patterns I see in people that I work with one-on-one or in group programs is. They'll start out as an entrepreneur, they'll have some kind of insecurity or self-worth challenge, Um, they'll do deliberate money practices like charging, for instance, slightly more than they're comfortable with in a way that still feels an integrity, and their sense of worth will bloom slightly. And then they have to do the work from there of totally detaching their sense of identity and worth from the amount of money that they're making um, so that things can
0: reach the next level. That makes sense. How would you describe your financial philosophy today? Let's let's turn the dial to a little bit more personal now. Yeah. Um, you know, you and I know you have a lot of caveats, and there you could still be in the process of your own money journey. But right now, today, where what? How would you characterize your your money perspective? On you can choose business, you can choose life in general. Sure.
1: Yeah. So I mean my in totally transparently my real money perspective is that money is uh is complicated and as a result it's an incredible teacher like the amount of growth and mindset development that can result from starting to relate to money very deliberately is really astonishing it's been a a huge part of my path has been that and there's uh there's a couple of, there's a couple of ways that it does that, that are really important to me on a personal level. I'll say, um, you know, I got, I got better at making money before I got better at managing money. So the early parts of my entrepreneurial journey were characterized by progressively larger spikes in income, but no real shift in the experience of money being a source of anxiety. Um, because I had no idea how to manage it. I, I put it silly places and, didn't track spending so the the first kind of growth of of money mindset for me was around making it but that wasn't at all sufficient so i'll say it's it's very easy with money and i've fallen into this trap repeatedly to attach one sense of financial health to the amount of money that you're making or have that's a tiny tiny sliver of financial health you could you could be making a ton of money and i've done you know i was having six figure months uh, when, while I was still just wildly irresponsible with money I, and, and my experience of it was not particularly happier than back in the day when I, you know, I, could, I could barely make like $3,000 a month. So I'll say the sort of overarching belief system that I have today around money is uh, like everything, our, our happiness in relationship to it. It needs to be based in mindfulness and consciousness. Part of that is connected to making money, but a huge part of that is connected to managing it. And it's a skill set, the management of it is a skill set that very few of us are taught early on.
0: I think that's everybody, right? You first, you make the money and then you make a lot of mistakes with it and then you learn and then yeah. hopefully you can still make the money to now catch up with the learning. Right. Spoken like a true expert. Um, let's move on to your money resolution. This question brought to us by our sponsor, Chase. Do you have like goals or resolutions that you make every year and specifically around money? Do you have one this year? Um, you know, I
1: make, I make goals and resolutions quarterly rather than annually. Um, I have, I have a much easier time. I used to just not make any resolutions and live very day-to-day. And now that I have a little company and people I'm responsible for, then I've extended it to three months. But I, I'm a big fan of, kind of restricting the time length on goal setting and resolutions to allow for the sort of agility and flexibility of responding to the real-time evolution of a business that's inevitable. Um, so I do have some resolutions right now. Uh, and some specific goals for our business. Some of them are financial. Like we have a couple of new, um, a, a couple of new financial targets for this quarter. But the the two really huge ones are, uh, one, the establishment of recurring revenue, passive recurring revenue, which we're doing through online courses, and the second is the um, the eradication of all unnecessary expenditures for the business, which is really is. Is a challenge for me because I lean in the direction of kind of looseness and generosity when it comes to cash, um, and so having like making the difficult decisions about who to cut, who to keep, um, and and where we can place the money that's genuinely the highest leverage for our mission. That's the kind of work that I'm currently engaged in in that realm.
0: How did you grow up, David, and uh, how did your upbringing impact your the lens through which you see the money world?
1: You know, I have to say, my parents. Um, I, my parents were sort of great about money in a lot of ways. Like, of course there was financial stress in the household. Like we grew up, I grew up lower middle class. Um, and, but, but they weren't, they, there weren't really a lot of fights about money. And there also, there weren't a ton of the sort of negative beliefs about it that some people grew up with. The one really, the one that I've had to work on the most, I would say is, um, my my family is one of academics and so there was a very high value placed on kind of intellectual development and so there was a, there was a, a sense of contempt attached to people who focused on money people who were just like full-time business people and so f- for a while in the entrepreneurial path um, every, every time that i would make money or start focusing on money i had this sort of sense of guilt or shame that would inevitably arise that I somehow wasn't focusing on the most important things. And while I've worked through that belief to a great extent, I also think there's a real wisdom to it. Like a lot of the false beliefs around money, you know, that one that I grew up with and a lot of the other ones people have, they have a certain seed of wisdom in them. And like with that one, the seed of wisdom is, it is actually a silly thing to focus a lot on money because money, money does nothing on its own. it, it by its nature it points outside of itself it's only good in as much as you can use it for other things so to get really kind of myopically focused on the substance itself is kind of missing the point um there's obviously there's abuses to having contempt for money making but i think at at the core that's the seed of it and that's uh the wisdom of that old false belief is something that i've done my best to integrate
0: i like that i'm actually writing down the time code for that because that's going to be my opening quote from you i think <laughs> you know focusing so much on the money is sort of missing the point right you have to sort of take a step back and first realize what is it the what is the life that i want and what is that life what price tag does that carry you know and then working your way backwards to be able to you know earn that money in a way that feels right to you to be able to support that lifestyle. Um, yeah. so many nuggets that you're giving me. I didn't think this was going to be such a like deep financial conversation, but it, here we are really going deeper than I have in many uh, months. I will say. I'm today.
1: down to talk about money for as long as.
0: You <laughs> Does, so, you know, I, I, I predict that this comes up quite a bit in your practice, working with your clients. And we did touch on this earlier, you know, just about some of the ways that you coach around these money mindset traps. But would you say that money is the number one booby trap like that people fall into, particularly people who are looking to like start businesses and be entrepreneurial, that that is sometimes the biggest area that needs work, mindset uh, work?
1: Yes. A hundred percent, but it happens in a couple of different ways. Um, it's, it's, I think, more common that people get excessively focused on the financial aspect of, of the business that they're running and they, that detract attention just through opportunity cost on, on what actually matters in the business, on, on refining really, really beautiful services and products, things like that the overall mission. But there's also, there's a type of person who I occasionally encounter, and this is sort of more what I was like, um, during many entrepreneurial phases, uh, who, I could say, has really grand ideas about what's possible, different different sorts of business ideas. And this is especially people who dream of starting startups, um, who, and this, I think, is facilitated by kind of Silicon Valley's massive, massive venture capital culture. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. People sort of lose lose connection to the fact that what a business is, is something that generates profit. And the, even if it's an incredible, incredible idea, it's not a real one if it's not connected to that possibility um, somewhere down the line. And ideally, not very far down the line unless you have a ton of funding.
0: Oh, man. I love that because I have been saying this all along and no one's listening. It's like, I don't care that company X got a million, two million, a hundred million in seed funding or venture capital. Like what's the profit? (laughs) Are they making money? I think that's a great show of a vote of confidence. And like, clearly if people are investing in you, that's. That's incredible. That's definitely a mark of progress. But I don't think that it deserves all of the celebration that the media gives it, that yeah. the entrepreneurial world gives it. I think that we often see that when you overextend yourself with you know, angel investing or venture capital, that it's so hard to keep up that one of two things has to happen. You either have to sell out, quickly because you have to pay back your investors or you go bankrupt um, because right. you have run your course with that money and now they want to get paid back and they're, you're not able to, and you haven't made a profit. And so 100%. there's definitely something to be said with like growing a little bit slower, bootstrapping it. And that's not a sexy headline. There aren't big, there aren't, ink you know, Inc. Magazines aren't running articles. That's like, you know, <laughs> right. Like that's, you know, sock company grows slow, but steady.
1: Right. Yeah, 100%. becomes a billion
0: dollar company over thirty years, but you know what is still in business and hasn't laid off anybody. Yeah,
1: um, yeah, exactly. It's, it's not. It's not the sexiest tagline.
0: No. Anyway, I digress. But I, I really appreciate that you said that because it really. I mean, I feel like um, it's you know, it's it's just, it's very practical to me. And sometimes, you know, practical stuff, uh, it doesn't really stick. But it's it's nice to know that someone like you who's so experienced and really has this, um, your ear to the ground can, can also agree to that. All right. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks, Dave. Dave or David? I've been calling you Dave. Both. Yeah, okay. both work. Let's do some so many fill in the blanks. This is when I start a sentence and then you just finish it. It's supposed to be stream of consciousness. So don't, over, try to overthink it or think you have like okay. the wrong answer. People get, people like really get nervous sometimes. Like, but
1: yeah, I, I mean, there's a chance that what I'll say will make no sense, but that's sort of That's the point.
0: fine. It's okay. All right. First things first. If I won the lottery tomorrow, the first thing I would do is.
1: Oh man. Um, this is,
0: <laughs>
1: this is funny. I actually, I, I think about versions of this a lot because my company sort of works um, by Winning the lottery regularly—we don't have our, our entire life is one of massive spikes of income and then a long period of <laughs> quiet. So, so I'm sort of used to winning the lottery um, on a smaller scale. So, what I would actually do—and uh, this answer has changed a lot since a couple of years ago—what I would actually do is um, is talk to our COO and CFO and and discuss the most optimal. Um, the the most the most optimal um, division of those funds for the sake of our current mission. I would also immediately celebrate and go out to eat oysters because that's a tradition. But I would I would actively hmm. practice financial responsibility in connection to the people who know what's going on in my business.
0: Yeah, a lot of a lot of oysters. That would definitely be a, a good party to go to. Hmm. Uh, one thing that I spend on that makes my life easier or better is.
1: Uh, Tea, really, uh, really good tea, Um, especially from, there's a nonprofit global tea hut with some incredible living tea selections, but um, poor and oolong. Where are you based? Say it again.
0: Where are you based out of? Is there uh, a lot based of
1: in Los Angeles?
0: Los Angeles. Okay, I was going to say in San Francisco. There's this great tea place.
1: Oh, there's a couple of amazing tea houses yeah. in San Francisco, and in, in LA we have one. But yeah, tea tea has just in terms of ROI has like actually one of the one of the highest um, in terms of general like not only productivity. We have I have but on my quality of marriage and really? my mind throughout the day. Yeah, hundred
0: percent. You need to go out more with that message. I think that's a profitable message.
1: People don't know the benefits of tea. The best thing that my wife and I do is drink uh, three cups of tea. We have a little tea ceremony in the mornings and it it sets an incredible tone for the whole day. And it's this beautiful.
0: Wow. You need to have you written about this?
1: I, I have yeah there's one article okay
0: I'm it. gonna look this up this is pretty you know I'm Iranian so we drink tea like 14 times a day oh great I don't but my parents do and yeah. I've you know I'm I, I I get into the when they're here we do it but like for me it's coffee but I know tea has so many benefits it's yeah absolutely it's pretty incredible okay when I was growing up the one thing I wish I had learned about money is
1: oh spreadsheets 100 yeah. percent.
0: Yeah. Uh, You think you would have even gotten that though at like 11 years old? Like, I don't think I would have really cared about seeing spreadsheets at 11.
1: You know, I, I think it's a hard sell to an 11 year old, but if I could have somehow convinced myself yeah. to look at spreadsheets, like the, the road of trying to manage finances without a spreadsheet is just so insane. It's like, it's, it's Sounds just possible. like, yeah. it, you know, it's like trying to win a bicycle race while That's running. That's half
0: of what being a CFO is. It's just totally. excelling. Uh, the Excel spreadsheet is it is basically your job description, mastering yeah. that. All right. And last but not least, I'm David Burns. I'm so money because?
1: Oh, because uh, especially today and in our culture, it is one of the greatest teachers for mindfulness and deliberate living that we have.
0: David Burns, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the show. So much so much to think about. And um, I love how you are um, you know, living your life in such alignment and helping others who are th- trying to achieve business euphoria get mm. there.
1: I'm going to steal that phrase. I love that.
0: Business euphoria. Business monk is so much better, though. But yeah, you can definitely steal any of my language. Um, you're <laughs> <Thank> welcome. You. <laughs> it's not stealing. It's, it's a, a gift. I'm gifting it to you. You've been such a gift for us. Thank you so much. And I wish you and your family happy 2019. Oh, back at you learn more about David, check out thebusinessmonk.com. If you missed any of this, just head over to somoneypodcast.com. You can download the transcript, hear the audio, and also click on Ask Farnoosh and leave me your question for our Friday episodes. You can also follow me on Instagram at Farnoosh Tarabi. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Hope your day is so money.